Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When I saw the gospel reading that was appointed for today, I got really excited because this gospel, this particular gospel of the centurion, is near and dear to my heart. And actually, it's near and dear to my heart for several reasons, but I'm going to begin by telling you one. And this particular story actually goes back to 9-11. Because a week or two after 9-11, my son Daniel, who was 13 years old at the time, said... I'm going into the army. And I thought it was just an adolescent with an emotional reaction to what had happened at 9-11, so I kind of dismissed it in my mind. But it never went away. Because he continued to have that in his mindset, his commitment from that day forward, and he never wavered. I mean, I remember when he was a junior in high school, and he said, well, I want to start, you know, talking to you about colleges, looking at colleges, and I said, what do you have in mind? He said, West Point or Citadel. I mean, it was pretty clear where he was aiming himself at that point. And I said, why those two? He said, well, number one, I want to go into the Army, and number two, I want to play football. So I know for some of you, especially visitors, you look at me and say, football, are you kidding me, college football? Because I'm not exactly massive. But he is. And so I said, okay. So he got accepted by both. West Point didn't accept him onto the football team. Citadel did. So he went to the Citadel. And he said, Dad, I want to enroll in ROTC. And I said, Daniel, why don't you wait a year? You know, give it through your first year. Knob year, as they call it, at the Citadel. I'm not positive of this. And I don't know if any of you understand the Citadel and how it works. But number one, when you go to Citadel, you do not have to go into the military. West Point, you do. But the reason I think they call it knob year is because when you go as a freshman, they shave your head and your head looks like a doorknob. So they call them knobs. So he's in his knob year and he is not dissuaded in the least, going through all the stuff that they put these first-year students through. And he gets to the end of his first year and he said, Dad, I want to sign up. And I'm going to sign up. And this whole time I'm thinking, I I just can't get my mind around this. I've, I've been a person, I'm not a pacifist, but I've been a person committed to something far different than the military in terms of my life, my calling, my ministry. And so I thought that he might go in that direction too at one time anyway. And I've never owned a gun. And so Daniel and I are very different personalities. But what I realized is very different callings as well. And so I went through that phase and I kept saying, Lord, I want to be able to give him my blessing, but I can't. I don't know how to do that. And so I prayed for several weeks because I wanted to give Daniel my blessing. And eventually, the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, of all the people in the New Testament that my son affirmed for their faith, 
who did he who did he affirm the most? The centurion. A soldier. An active soldier. Over a hundred men. And he says of this soldier, who is not a Jew, by the way, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. So you would think I'd be satisfied, but I said, okay, Lord, I got that part. I understand, in part, why my son. And so, again, back to my prayer room for a couple, several weeks more worth of prayer. And I get this sense in my heart again from the Lord that said, would you rather have a godly man or an ungodly man leading a group of men? And I thought, I've got my answer. And I went in and I gave Daniel my blessing. And the Lord isn't always that clear in our lives. But one of the things that I sense with the Lord is when we are open to Him, He wants to respond to us. He wants to speak into our heart and speak into our lives. And that's exactly what we see in this passage as well. Is someone who was open to the Lord and therefore the Lord would speak into his life. What I discovered in the process, and I've said this before, Daniel has as much a calling on his life as I have on my life. It's just different. And it's interesting how the Lord responded to me because He didn't respond with, do this. It was with a question. And when He asked the first question, I had to peruse in my mind the Scriptures in order to get the answer. And this is the answer that I got this passage. I've not found such faith in all of Israel. The Lord speaking to a soldier about a soldier. Jesus speaking about a soldier. This passage in many ways speaks of an uncommon faith from an unlikely source. That's really what this passage is about. Because this man's faith is not what Jesus was used to seeing as he traveled around. It's uncommon. And the fact that this is a soldier responding the fact that this is a Roman soldier responding is unlikely. And that's what this passage reveals to us. That you would expect to find, because of Israel's history, because of the Lord, you would expect to find that kind of faith with Israel. But that's not the case. The centurion was open to God's direction, to God's answer. So Jesus provided it. And the first thing we encounter in this passage is the centurion had heard about Jesus. You know, how many people in our culture, in our world, have heard about Jesus? And you know, the question is, when they've heard about him, what did they hear about him? Do they really understand who he is? See, the Jewish elders had heard about Jesus. They're the one that recommended Jesus to the centurion. 
So everybody around that area had heard about Jesus, but what they heard, we're not clear on. You know, it's interesting that this takes place in Capernaum. And my guess is, when you think of Jesus, this is not one of the first cities that comes to your mind, right? Maybe Bethlehem, where he was born. Maybe Nazareth, where he ended up growing up. In fact, Jesus is even called Jesus of Nazareth. You might think of Jerusalem, but typically you don't think of Capernaum. And it's interesting because Jesus had moved there. This was now his home. If you were to look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, you would, you would read, beginning to read at verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home at Capernaum. So this is Jesus' home now. And my guess is his reputation was beginning to spread. This guy does miracles. He heals people. He teaches and he preaches with authority. We're not quite sure who he is. We're not sure why he's amongst us. But Jesus was developing this reputation, but people, as much as they heard of him, and as much as they heard about him, they weren't clear about who he was. They just knew that they had run out of all their resources. That my guess is these Jewish elders had been praying for this servant and nothing happened. My guess is because of the centurion was in the position that he was, he sought all the doctors around and nothing happened. My guess is because this man was a Roman soldier, he was probably a polytheist, believed in many gods, had sought all the gods and nothing happened. And so in desperation, the Jewish elders, we're not sure what they believe. And the centurion, we're not sure what he believes. They finally said, well, Jesus has this reputation. There must be something about him. And so they were open to Jesus. And that's all Jesus needs with a person, by the way. All Jesus needs with a person is an open heart and an open mind. Someone who's willing to come to him and say, Who are you really? I really want to know you. I really want to know what life is about. I really want to know why you came and what your ministry is about. And that's what these people do. They come to Jesus. And this is an unlikely person, as I mentioned. I mean, my goodness, he's a soldier, he's a man of violence. Typically, these guys, these Roman soldiers in Jewish circles were pretty brutal. They were pretty mean. Because Jews did not have the best reputation at that time. They were a troublesome people. You just have to see what a lot of the authorities wrote at the time about the Jews with Roman occupation. So typically, they were brutal people. Typically, they were polytheists. Typically, they had to affirm Caesar as a god in their world. So this is an unlikely man. But these Jewish elders had seen something about him, something different about him. And so they go to Jesus, trying to persuade Jesus to go to his house, and they say, this guy loves us. He's really kind to us. He's got a good heart. He built our synagogue. Now, by the way, just because he built the synagogue doesn't mean he loves them. Isn't that an interesting interpretation? 
He may have built the synagogue for political reasons. It was politically expedient to do that because here's his troublesome people. One way to, you know, try to keep peace amongst them, build them a synagogue. Maybe they'll shut up. We don't know if he really loved them. This was the elders' take on it. But notice what they say about him. He is worthy. He's worthy. He's done nice things to us. He's done nice things for us. He's a good guy. How many times do we say that? They're a good person. How many times do we say that to the Lord when we want something? Lord, I'm a good person. And you know the reality is that evil people can do good things. People that have corrupt motives can do good things. So we don't know this man's heart yet. Yet. And what's interesting about the Lord, He doesn't look to actions alone. Did you hear the Old Testament reading? The Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows what's going on. And what happens through the process of this story is this man's heart is revealed. Because as much as the Jewish elders were saying, He's worthy, He's worthy, when He's getting close to, Jesus is getting close to His house, what word does He say? I am not worthy. I am not worthy. I know I'm a sinner. I know my heart. I know my heart isn't totally right. But I want to believe. I want to have you touch me. I want to have you touch my servant. And I'm not worthy. That's repentance. That's what the Lord looks for in our lives is that repentance. The first word out of Jesus' mouth when He began His ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is exactly what this man experienced. He repented first and foremost. I am not worthy. Just say the word. Just say the word. How could He say something like that? Because in effect what He's saying, Jesus, I believe You can do something. I want to believe You can do something. And if you're the authority that you say you are, you don't need to come here because I understand authority. I'm in authority. I'm under authority. I understand authority. So if you are who you say you are, you don't need to come here. He exercises faith. He exercises trust. He says, I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to talk about authority for a minute. You know, ultimately, when you boil it all down, there are three sources of authority in our world today. Number one, one source of authority is others. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Others. You know, well, everybody says, everybody believes, that's number one. It's the majority. If everybody believes it, it's got to be true. Or if everybody believes it, we should be able to do this or act this way, right? If everybody believes it. So authority number one is the majority or your peers. 
Because everybody becomes your circle around you, and of course you want to fit in and you want to please all them and you want to look important with them, so you do what they say. So everybody becomes your peers. Everybody says, who? Well, the people around me, the people that matter, the people whose opinion I value. The third possibility with others is the expert. You know what I mean by the expert? Well, I read so-and-so, and so-and-so says, this is the reality. Dr. Phil, Oprah, whatever. They say it, it must be true. But we can always find an expert that says what we want to hear, can't we? Second source of authority. Me. Well, let me tell you what I believe. You know, bottom line is, I want to be affirmed. I want to experience pleasure. I want to experience comfort. It's all about me after all anyway. So I have the final opinion. You believe what you want. I believe what I, I want. This works for me. I believe it. It's true for me. So I become the final authority on this. And there you have it. The third possibility is God and His Word. Do we really affirm God as the authority in my life, really believe His Word as authoritative for my life? See, so many people are so selective about what they want to believe about God or about His Word. Or does this really apply to my life? Or does this really apply to today? Ultimately, because we do trust those other voices of authority out there. Or we want things the way we want them so that we become the final authority. When that's not what the centurion does. It's not what the centurion says. He says, I understand authority. I'm under authority, and it could cost me my life. I'm over people in authority, and I'm responsible for their lives. I understand authority. And so, Lord, I want to trust you and entrust myself to your authority. I'm going to take a step of faith here, and I'm going to believe what you say about who you are. And that's why Jesus says, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. Because what has he discovered in Israel so far? People who are legalists. Or people who make their own choices about what they believe. Corrupt religious leaders. Corrupt Roman leaders. And people who have gone astray. He's not found such faith in all of Israel. Here's a leader that understands. Here's a leader that recognizes that first and foremost, repentance is essential. Where you empty yourself, where you humble yourself, where you open yourself to the Lord. And you say, I am not worthy. This is not about me knowing. This is not about me earning. This is about you. Because I empty myself and I put myself under your authority. You are to be my Lord. We say that as Christians. Do we believe it? Do we live it? You are my Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
Is that reality for you? Because that's what this centurion basically is saying. That I have that kind of faith. That I trust. That I submit that you're my Lord. That's the choice I'm making right now. It's an uncommon faith from an unlikely source. And it's a witness to everybody around. In a world that was so corrupt and so twisted and so many messages were out there. Just like ours. Just like ours. Now, I have a question. What if Jesus were here right now? Well, let me take that back. Jesus is here right now. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So Jesus is here right now. And he's looking for this kind of faith. What kind of faith would he find in you? Would he find this kind of faith? Would he find the kind of faith that says, I'm not worthy. I have failed. I've sinned. I've tried it my own way. I keep going after my own thing. I keep wanting to be at the center. And I'm not worthy to be there. Would he find the kind of faith that says, Lord, I want you to be my authority. When we say Jesus is Lord, do we really mean it? I want someone to be my authority. Now that doesn't mean you need to understand everything about everything in order to be there. Let me tell you what. Before Daniel left, the last couple days he was here, before he went to Afghanistan, I said to Daniel, and I was risking when I said this, I said, you know, Daniel, I have to say, I'm not really sure why we're in Afghanistan. And he said to me, Dad, I don't either. He said, I just know I'm called to go, and that's where I'm going to serve. What if we responded to the Lord like that? I don't always understand why you say this, why you ask this. I don't understand why this is what makes me holy in your eyes. But I trust you. I trust you to be my Lord. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. That's the kind of faith that the centurion had. And make no mistake about it, we are in a spiritual battle. There's a battle going on for your soul. In just a few moments, we're going to be experiencing a baptism where we say in the context of the baptism, we renounce the world, we renounce the flesh, we renounce Satan. That's what we say in the context of baptism. And then we affirm Jesus is our Savior. And we say we put our whole trust in His grace and love. And we say we want to follow Him as our Lord. And the question is, do you? Do you? Because if you're going to live that life, then you will need, like the centurion, the whole armor of God. And I invite you this week 
to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And this week, at least once, if not every day, pray through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm going to read it to you right now. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His power. Let Him be the Lord of your life. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against, hear it, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you might be able to withstand on that evil day, having done everything to stand firm. That's our call. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Where's the belt of truth found? Jesus is the truth. The Spirit of God will guide you into all truth. My word is truth. God's God's word written is truth. We have truth available to us, and we need to gird ourselves with it because we live in a world that throws around all kind of alleged truths. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You've got to guard your heart with the holiness of God, His righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. We need to go out into the world equipped with the gospel and ready to share it, by the way. The world needs the gospel. With all these, take the shield of faith. That's what's going to protect us. Our faith is what will help us to stand firm and take on the assaults. Take the helmet of salvation. In other words, get your mind around it. Become a student of the word. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, as Romans 12 says. Get your mind around it. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only offensive weapon against Satan in this battle. A centurion. We are called to be like this centurion. That when God looks at us, He can say, I've not found such faith in all the land. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith will you have? If Jesus is your Lord, then you become one under His authority and you live with that faith, empowered by His Holy Spirit. I invite you to that commitment as we share in this baptism together. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, there are so many voices of authority calling to us in the world that would call us away from you. So many people that would tell us who Jesus is that has nothing to do with who you are. Lord God, I pray this day that you would give us such faith. That we would come to you empty, broken. We would come to you in repentance, recognizing we are not worthy, but that you are. And Lord, I pray this day 
that you would come under our roof. That your spirit would reside within us. That we could resist the temptations and trials around us. That we would be convinced in our hearts by the power of your spirit that Jesus is Lord. And that we would live with the faith of a centurion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.